this is Radio Land, huh? The Infinite Turtle, the waves through the ether fuzz roll on forever. Roar! This is Death by DVD, and you are listening to The Halloween Hangover, Part 2. The Hangover Continues. I am Harry Scott Sullivan, your host, and what is The Halloween Hangover? Well, last year following Halloween, we released an episode called The Halloween Hangover, which really had no format, and we mostly talked about the films that we had watched over October 2022, the great Linus Fitness Center joined me, and it was a jolly good time. It was a pretty quality, thick episode. So we have returned this year to do it all over again, and I don't know about you, but I am certainly hungover on Halloween. It is pretty bitter. I mean, every year it changes, and I know there are a lot of people out there that would make fun of the term post-Halloween depression, and I think you're an asshole. If you make fun of that term, just FYI, I'll start the show off with insults, but it's a real thing. And uh, conceptually, so many people have it in their mind, and it's fine if you do, that Halloween is a children's holiday, and a large portion of it is. But not just for horror kids, there is a joy in October, and I can't speak for every country, but where I live in the United States of America that uh, it's just untapped. You can't replicate the feeling. You can't do anything year-round to to get how awesome Halloween feels. And I saw a post on social media a few days ago that was something along the effects of, I hate when October 31st actually comes because all year I wait for this and my outside looks like my inside and it's so enjoyable And I really relate to that. I can completely and fully back that and understand it. I love Halloween, and I wait for it all year, but once October begins, I hate the thought of it. In fact, it's the last thing that I I want to happen. I just want the month to stretch and continue in its entirety. I want spirit Halloween stores to stay open. I want to see spooky, scary skeletons, witches, goblins, ghosts, and pumpkins on every corner. I, I love it. It's that perfect time of year where I live in the USA. It's still fairly warm and the leaves are falling and it's it's just kind of serendipitous. It really looks like Carpenter's Halloween. Which ironically, you know, the movie's supposed to take place in like any town, USA, Midwest America, just a, a small nameless town in Illinois. And it was filmed in California. And there was such difficulty getting that feeling. And I've always felt where I live, it's just perfect. There's this warmth in the air and it's starting slowly to fade and the leaves are everywhere and people are genuinely happy. There's an excitement from even just, let's say you have kids and you don't celebrate Halloween. Your kid's celebrating Halloween. It's infectious. It's something that you, you can't help but 
fall into the spirit of unless you're a, a big gangly asshole and you just don't give a shit about anything because you don't enjoy your life. It's about the simple things. This isn't a rant about people and people that don't like Halloween. It's more or less on my post-Halloween depression. And it really hit this year. The day after Halloween was a Wednesday, and it was the worst Wednesday I can remember in ages. I just didn't want to do anything. I, I was so lethargic and just upset. You have to take down your decorations. Your yard just becomes a big leaf-covered yard. It's no longer a spooky leaf-covered yard. And there's a little bit of joy that just seems to dissipate out of the air. And, of course, in the USA, you've got Thanksgiving coming up soon, followed by Christmas, and immediately... November 1st starts, it's like Thanksgiving doesn't even exist. We just go into Christmas mode, and I can be holly, I can be jolly, but it's in a right place, right fucking time situation, and I just don't feel like being holly and jolly. It's yearning and missing the absolute fun of Halloween, and that's where the Halloween hangover comes into place. Because you, you just yearn for the feeling, but something is so out of place, something is so wrong the second it ends, it feels almost inappropriate. And I hate that. I just I hate that feeling. I hate that vibe, as the kids say. And of course, you wish Halloween could last forever, but what would make it special if every day was Halloween? And I dig. I like ministry. I'm aware of the song. You just can't have it. Thus, the Halloween hangover. So the last time we did this, there was no real structure to the episode. We just chatted and talked about some of the movies that we had watched over October. We both were fairly stern with Alexander Garland's Men, which had uh, recently come out at the time. And I'm still open to say fuck that movie. Terrible movie. I love Alexander Garland. I think he's one of the greatest writers of the last century. He's up there. He's, he's, he's an amazing fucking writer. I think his prose is great. I love his filmmaking, too. I guess the title is pretty fitting because it just felt like a guy mansplaining to me the entire time with vivid imagery of nothing, and it went nowhere. Well, that's not entirely true. It went somewhere up Alexander Garland's own ass, and I very much hope that he is over the breakup that caused him to write that movie. But we will not waste any more time talking about men. If I was going to talk about a Garland movie, I'd pick something I really liked, you know, The Beach or something like that, which ironically is one of my favorite books. Uh, ever ever written. I deeply prefer the book to the movie, but hey, the movie's good too. But I think Richard should have been English, no fault to DiCaprio, but perhaps Ewan McGregor would have been a better cast for that movie. But this is, we're, we're so far off Halloween. I'm talking about uh, going to Thailand and living on a beach that's off charts and no one knows where it's at. has nothing to do with the Halloween hangover. In 2022, I tasked myself with trying to watch 100 horror movies for Halloween, expressly and specifically horror only to celebrate the season. The idea originated with me being told it's very, very hard to watch 100 movies in a month and me immediately going, oh, well, now I'm going to do it. And I succeeded. I watched 103 films for Halloween 2022. And this year, I thought to myself, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to relax and just enjoy the month of October. And as the month progressed, I realized, well, I don't have any friends and I don't have anywhere to go, so fuck it. I've made a poor choice. 
I can definitely watch 100 movies. And of course, at this point, the task has become deeper with I have to watch more than 103 horror movies. Even if it's just 104, I still have to do it. And I did. Of course. 112 movies, in fact. And so for this year's Halloween Hangover, part two, The Hangover continues. We are going to dive deep into my list and explore all the things I watched October 2023. And I can hear you. I can hear your thoughts. Wow, this is a pretty low effort show. Wasn't the Halloween show just the list? Kinda. Technically, was three lists. And it was done on the fly. But comparatively to some of our other Halloween episodes, I can understand how it is a little underwhelming. And yeah, lazy content. Am I about to read a list? Is that what I'm going to do on this episode? Am I going to read a list? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the gist of things here. And because the list is so long, in fact, I really can't stop and talk individually about every movie but a couple of them, we'll stop here and there, we'll chat about them, and I know you're also saying to yourself, well, can't I just fucking follow you on Letterboxd and, and see the whole list I'm sure you've curated and made since you did one last year? Yes, you can. You can. Death by DVD, it's me on Letterboxd. Death by DVD, that's me on Facebook. Death by DVD, that's me on Twitter. Death by DVD, that's me on whatever the fuck the Instagram thing is called. X, also Death by DVD, or Twitter, whatever. It's fucking Death by DVD. If you Google that shit and look it up, it's me. You'll find me. Ha ha! Is it lazy content? Indubitably so, I do feel it is. But hey, listen to it or don't. You can send me an email and tell me a movie you'd like to hear on this show. And I'll talk more about this at the end of the program. But we have a schedule. We got shows already recorded. A whole slew of them. A whole new special. In fact, it's going to be our longest-running special to date. We did Star Trek, which was six weeks, I believe. We did Phantasm, which was five weeks. And now we're going to run and gun with... My God, I think maybe 13 in a row? 12 to 13 weeks in a row. Who knows? We might break it up because that sounds sure as shit monotonous. As does, though, reading a list of 112 movies. But at least it won't just be me talking to myself on those episodes. We've got some amazing guests, and I'll talk more about them at the end of this episode. So post-Halloween depression, yeah, I, I feel it's a thing. And it, it's very situational because there is, is just so... Many ways that you can relish and reel in the wonder of Halloween. You can you can be a, a parent and have the greatest time reliving your favorite memories through your child, or you can be a horror kid and it's just what you wait for all year. That's that's really what it is for me. I had beautiful Halloweens as a kid. I always loved the Halloween. I always loved the holiday, the time of year. Before I even turned into the, the, the strange cinephile movie critic bastard that I am now, there was just something so mystical about it. And every year I really fight to retain and, and bring that feeling back. And I, I love so much the awe that can be inspired by Halloween, even from just simply decorating your yard. I, I don't have the greatest decorations. And of course, Year-round, my house has spooky and scary things all around. There's skeletons and Chucky dolls and Leatherface. I've got a whole room dedicated to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Godzilla. It's half Texas, half Godzilla. I know it sounds like a weird pairing. It's actually my bedroom. 
there's a little bit of Halloween spirit available all year round, but it's just it's so hard to tap into and really feel the joy. And what's great is is the whole world is kind of like that horror kid mentality, and everywhere and everything you look at really matches that feeling you have all year. And I don't think horror fans have it bad. Maybe back in the 90s or 2000s when it was just completely commercialized bullshit, but there's a lot of great indie films that are available now. Streaming has made horror and genre films available to the masses, and it's uh, it's quite the feat to try and do 100 films because logistically it seems very simple. You just got to watch a shit ton of movies. But what genre, what type of horror films? Where are you going to find these movies? And then, of course, you have to consider the runtime of these movies and how many that you can fit into a day. And you realize after a while, can you name 100 movies in general? I'm sure you can, but it's going to take some time. A hundred specific horror movies, now that's a different story. And then taking into consideration, my specific rule was no movies can repeat from last year, except for a few that I watch every single year, my uh, ritualistic horror Halloween watching. And uh, impressively to myself, I managed to not watch any repeat films, of course, except for the ritualistic ones, save for one film. And I, I, I knew about 20 minutes into it, I'd seen it before. It was overtly familiar. I should have fucking remembered it, but whatever. One repeater on the list. And what works is I did 103 last year and I did 112 this year. So it doesn't matter that the repeater showed up. I also am opposed to short films, and one of the films on the list is a short film, but 112 movies kind of wipes out the negative in my mind, and that's just the rules. There are scary movies, there are children movies, there are spooky movies, but 100 horror movies for Halloween, they specifically have to be horror, so even if I watch The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, hey, that's not a horror movie. It's a Halloween movie, but it's not a horror movie. And several films I watched did not make the list. So technically, we have 116 movies. And in just a little while, we'll go through the list. But something I, I really did want to touch upon, uh, speak out about for this episode, just is the, the joy and the feeling of of Halloween. I did an episode a couple years ago, I think maybe 2022, maybe 2021, about a movie called Frankie and His Pals, and I began that episode with a whole post-Halloween depression speech, and it, it kind of reels in my head the overwhelming amount of negativity and just assholes on, on the internet that don't let people have fun, that... Uh, degrade or look down on people and collectors especially well you're in your fucking 40s and you got a bunch of Halloween toys and decorate your yeah whatever I'm, I'm, I'm a grown up I'm an adult you're just kind of an asshole and it's alarming that you're unable to feel any sense of joy that's the scary thing I don't want to carve pumpkins or do shit like that but you enjoyed it as a child Perhaps you would enjoy it as an adult. It's really baffling, but most of the things that you really like doing when you were a kid, you still like doing. You just don't do them anymore. Go ride a fucking bike. Tell me that you don't have a sense of awe and wonderment when you go down a hill really fast. And of course, when you reach an age like 40, you're a little bit more afraid of falling down that hill. Fuck it, put training wheels on it. These things don't have to change, is what 
the point of my rant is. The things that you love, the things that make you feel joy, you, you should still practice. You should still do those things. You, st you should still chase that, that feeling of warmth and happiness. And if it's carving a fucking pumpkin alone, it's not for kids. It's for you. It's for what you're doing. You know, Iggy Pomp has that quote where people would ask him, why do you wear women's clothes? Well, they're not women's clothes. They're Iggy Pop's clothes. He's wearing his clothes. Who fucking cares is the, the long story short here. I think I've made my point. I think it's it's clear and it's come across. If you've been listening to this show for the last 14 years going on 15, I think it's clear. I'm a big Halloween fan. I'm a big horror fan. But more importantly, I'm a fan of people actually enjoying their goddamn time on this fucking earth. So just remember, you're allowed to miss things. You're allowed to feel bad. When you're listening to this episode, just a few days ago it was Halloween and all of us felt like we were on fire with horror passion. Well... You can keep that all year round. You're always safe here. You're always welcome here. The pumpkin patch is fucking non-stop at Death by DVD. And that brings us to the goddamn list. 112 horror movies. And it's just not... A good idea in my mind to discuss every single one in detail but you know it's, it's crazy I'll put weeks and weeks and weeks of effort into an episode and I'll be sure this is gonna be the one this is gonna be the episode that takes off people are gonna love this episode it's gonna get 3,000 downloads and one guy in Belize will download the episode that'll be it and I'll come up with something that I think is very lazy, half-assed, and uninspired. I'll rush to record it and put it out, quite possibly as I'm doing right now, and it will be a fan favorite. I don't know shit about fuck. I just don't. So maybe you'll enjoy it. It's weird the episodes we get hate mail and a negative comments about... I for sure thought people were going to balk at August Underground. I can't believe you're going to talk about that movie, yet alone praise it. Nope. People got mad about the Halloween Ends episode that came out a year after it was recorded because we actually liked Halloween Ends more than the other absolute trash garbage movies in the Halloween series. Fuck you. Halloween 4 kind of sucks. Well, not kind of. It does. So does 5 and so does 6. I'm going to say it as often as I goddamn can, just because, hey, people are using our .com website, they're using the email app, and it's fine that it's hate mail. I'm just excited when I get the little email. You suck. Awesome. But also, when you email us and you type in your email as confirmation to tell me that I suck, I know who you are. And I can see your email. La -da 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 -da. And I don't mean that as an intimidation tactic. I just mean if you're gonna tell me I suck, please use some better language. Do it uh, really fancily. Don't just say you suck. Give me a paragraph. Work with something. Break down the English language and get creative. Tell me exactly why I suck. You know, I want more. I'm evading this goddamn list, aren't I? All right, let's do it. The unfortunate thing is the movie that begins the list isn't the most exciting movie to talk about. It's from 2016, and it is called Strange Battle. It's directed by a man named Zhang Xiaozhan, and it was nice. It's an indie Chinese horror film that is more of a war movie than it is a horror movie, but there's a supernatural aspect to things. I enjoyed it, but I will say the subtitles were fucking terrible, 
And you really got to kind of make up your own dialogue as you're going along because it was done definitely by AI and not a human. Strange battle. I followed that with Last Woman on Earth 1960. And at this point in the month, it's October 1st, and I had decided that I was not going to attempt to tackle my 100 horror movies for Halloween, but I instead was going to watch every single film by Robert Brisson. And I didn't, but I did watch a few of them. The Trial of Joan of Arc, 1962, which comparatively I enjoy much more than the, the Joan of Arc film from the 20s. The Trial of Joan of Arc used the actual logs from Joan of Arc's trial, and it seems unfathomable, but it's a true story. that This 14-year-old girl was burned to death. And the entirety of the dialogue is, is so decadently based in realism, and the film is very monotone and flat and almost emotionless as you go through this story that you know inevitably ends with a child being burned to death isn't technically horror, but I didn't include it on the list. It, it is not one of the 112. It's one of the 116, but we're talking about as many as we can, right? Following that, I watched Argent or Money. The easier way to talk about that movie is just calling it Money, also by Robert Brisson. I got nothing to say about that. It is uh, one of the most famous movies ever made. Watch it yourself. I already talked about it on the August Underground episode, too. Following that, we've got The Rapture from 1991. Michael Tolkien directs Mimi Rogers. Uh, David Duchovny's in the film. James Legros. I didn't particularly care for the film. And it's neither here nor there. It it was fine. It's just one of those things where I, there's an artistic vision, and I got it. I just didn't think it was represented very well on screen. Fine. It's a fine movie. Kane Hodder, I think, also is in the cast. But David Duchovny, Mimi Rogers, very beautiful people. Following up, we're on October 3rd at this point, American Gothic 1987. I'm not going to do the dates for the entire list because this is just going to get out of hand and it's not that this is a filler episode but you know it kind of is a filler episode following that august underground and i shouldn't have to say anything about that movie because we have a entire episode about it that just came out night of the ghouls 1959 bride of the monster 1955 glenn or glenda 1953 this one's debatable if it should have inclusion on the list as it's not a horror movie but it is a movie directed and written by edward jr and he acts in it too as well well stars in it so that is kind of the the force here well it is a movie by edward jr who infamously is called the worst director of all time and by today's standards that's laughable it's offensive it's fucking offensive by today's standards and still you have a head-to-head -head battle of andy milligan or edward but i quite enjoy edward's films and i think Glenn or Glenda is uh, ages, ages, ages before its time. It is a very, very thought-provoking movie, and it wouldn't be bad if there wasn't that maybe 30-minute weird couch scene where I, they're just on the couch making out, and it just fucking runs on and 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 on. It itself was filler. I think the movie was maybe like 45 minutes worth of footage, and that's that's interjected garbage. But still, it raises the question, is it a horror film? And I, I do not consider it a horror film, but my reasoning is Edward Jr. And that's fair reasoning. It's an Edward movie. Following that, 
Captain Clegg, and that was three in a row. Night of the Ghouls, Bride of the Monster, Glen or Glinda, those are all Ed Wood Jr. films. Did not manage to do Plan 9 from Outer Space for some reason. Following Glen or Glinda, though, we've got Captain Clegg, 1962, a series that I'm sad didn't continue onward more. This is a great Peter Cushing vehicle. Peter Cushing plays a pirate. It's awesome, and it's still... Horrifying. Oliver Reed's in the movie, and goddamn, I love Oliver Reed. It's an excellent adventure, Captain Clegg. And then after that, we've got the classic, The Unforgettable, one of the greatest films ever made by one of the greatest filmmakers ever made, The Exorcist, 1973. May William Friedkin rest forever in peace. Following that, not so good, but not as bad as I remember it being, The Exorcist 2. Heretic, and I'm a big Richard Burton fan. I uh, I sympathize with that poor devil. I've always had a, a lot of admiration, as well as I do for Oliver Reed, with Richard Burton. And he goddamn tried. I don't care how bad the movie is, Richard Burton's still pretty good in The Exorcist II Heretic. And this is 1977. He was at one of the heights of his intoxication. This is a very drunk movie for Richard Burton, and he did a goddamn good job. We're all proud of him for it. May he rest in peace. Following that, Dogs, 1976. Then we get into a little bit more non-horror territory on the 7th. I went to a local Oktoberfest celebration, and when I came home, there was only one movie that seemed right to watch, and that is Broken Lizards Beer Fest. Not a horror film, and it is not on the list, but I'm telling you about it anyway. Space Probe Taurus, 1965. The Time Travelers, 1964. Invisible Invaders, 1959. VHS, 85, 2023. <sighs> God damn you. So I, I I am willing to say I like the first movie. I thought the, the maybe even to the third or so, I followed the series pretty well, and they had this whole follow-through. I mean, it's an anthology series, and if you make an anthology film without a wraparound, it's useless, and it's just a bunch of short films clipped together. The imperative thing, what really ties the goddamn room together when it comes to making an anthology film is having a coherent and a really sturdy wraparound. I really like the first movie. The second one, it's kind of continuing it. You're you're attempting to learn more. Third movie, it's continuing it. By the fourth one, they just drop it, and it's just a bunch of shit clipped and cut together. VHS 85 is absolutely no different. I was annoyed last year. On my, my list last year, I had the previous VHS, and I, it, that pissed me off, too. It's just not about anything. And it's fine. An anthology film doesn't need to be specifically about something, but it has to have a wraparound that makes some sort of sense. There's no story being told. It's just kind of polishing turds and throwing them out for people to see. But, hey, it does well on Shutter, and I guess good for AMC. I found VHS 85 to be a complete and utter and total waste of time, but we follow VHS 85 with Carpenter's classic Halloween. I feel like I don't need to say anything about that because we have a four-hour episode, last year's Halloween special, featuring Justin the Red from Watch Skip Plus and Linus Fitness Center, the 
Linus Fitness Center, where we rank, rate, and review every single Halloween movie in the series. So you can just go listen to that. Following Halloween, we move into a favorite film of mine. Uh, I think you should know this being Death by DVD fans. It's Phantasm IV Oblivion. I love the whole series, but Phantasm IV is one of my most favorite in the series. I think it's one of the darkest entries. I, I have a hard time watching it without actually crying. It I find it greatly upsetting. But it's a wonderful film. The whole series is spectacular. I love Phantasm with every ounce and fiber of my being. And I strongly recommend you let Phantasm and Don Coscarelli into your heart. Following that, I got to see House of a Thousand Corpses in the theaters for its 20-year anniversary. Note also that The Exorcist was a theatrical showing also. Now, I saw House of a Thousand Corpses about six times when it came out and... Was very excited to see it again. One of my favorite scenes out of any movie, not just horror movies, happens to be in this Rob Zombie film, The Crane Shot, where Walton Goggins is shot in the fucking head, spoilers, I guess, for a 20-year-old movie, by Bill Mosley's Otis, while Slim Whitman's I Remember You is playing at full blast. It is a courageous scene. It has so much balls. Oh, amazing. Great use of emotion in an incredibly disturbing movie. The the few bits that you got with Walton Goggins before this, he was just such an annoying asshole of a character, and then you get presented with just this great construction of death. It's horrifying, it's beautiful, all at the same time. Wonderful sequence. I really like House of a Thousand Corpses. I think it's my favorite Rob Zombie film. Most people prefer The Devil's Rejects, and I, it's fine, whatever. It's fine. I'm not saying it's bad, I'm not saying it's good, it's fine. Hated 31, uh, His I, I like his Halloween series, I think those are okay. 31 was, was awful. Monsters, still haven't seen it. Ha- Haunted World of El Super Bisto, uh, it was fine, that's fine. I'm leaving something out, aren't I? Oh, yeah, the really good one with um Sherry Moon and... That narrows it down, doesn't it? Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Lords of Salem. Yeah, the one with Sherry Moon. The Rob Zombie movie with Sherry Moon. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Lords of Salem was great, though. I <laughs> I like that one. We're spending way too much time on Rob Zombie. Moving on. The Boogeyman 2023. Then Ernest Scared Stupid 1991. Again, debatable. That one's hard to put on the list, as well as Glenn or Glinda. Is it a horror movie? I think so. Child-friendly, but it still has elements of horror. Then, of course, this October 2023 featured a Friday the 13th, so obligatory Friday the 13th, 1980, Sean S. Cunningham, and followed it up by Steve Miner's Friday the 13th, Part 2, 1981. Then after that, we've got a Don't Look in the Basement double feature, 1973's Don't Look in the Basement, and then 2015's Don't Look in the Basement 2. And for a movie made 40-some-odd years after its original sequel, completely unnecessary, why do all these 40-year-old sequels have to fucking have some supernatural plot? I don't know. I didn't entirely hate it, though. Wasn't a complete waste of time. If you enjoy the first movie, it's nice connecting it, but again, completely unnecessary. And then we've got In Search of Bigfoot 1976. It's a Bigfoot stretch here. We've got Cry Wilderness from 87 following it, and then Sasquatch, The Legend of Bigfoot 1976, which I enjoy. You can hear about that movie on the 2023 Halloween special. 
Following that, we've got the Resonator Miskatonic U. Here's the whole stretch. I did all three of them. There is the Resonator Miskatonic U beyond the Resonator, and then Curse of the Reanimator, which all of these serve as unofficial sequels to Stuart Gordon's 1986 from Beyond. The Resonator following the son of the lead character from From Beyond, and then the Resonator is reopened, the same problems happen, but at the end of the first one, you've got Herbert West introduced as a character, and it goes all over the place. I believe they were originally shot as a miniseries for Full Moon, like a 15 to 16 part miniseries, and then recut into uh, about 50 to 60 minute films. So Resonator, Miskatonic U, 2021, Beyond the Resonator, 2022, and Curse of the Reanimator, 2023. They're very, very cheap. They're full moon movies, but I enjoyed them. As a whole, all of them, are, it's an interesting follow-up to a movie that didn't need a follow-up, and it's fine. They were fine. After that, those three, I watched Argento's Dark Glasses, which is terrible absolutely terrible the fucking bad guy is a smelly guy and that's his motivation for killing people because somebody called him fucking smelly and it's not even a slasher because he just runs people over with his goddamn van now i'm worried about putting out lazy content for death by dvd but jesus christ this is lazy content it's not even worth calling it a movie it's absolute garbage and i stand by my previous statements i've made for years and years and years dario argento hasn't made a fucking good movie since opera and I wish he would stop just stop it god damn it Dario I hated dark glasses it's awful then following that as we talked about the resonator movies is from beyond Stuart Gordon 1986 it's a classic it's amazing it's Stuart Gordon and you're better off for watching it you should watch it right now then we've got the Incredible Melting Man from 1977 and Body Melt from 1993, an ooey-gooey double feature, which both movies are fairly disgusting. The Incredible Melting Man is a more sympathetic film where you actually feel bad for the guy while he's melting as to where Body Melts is chaotic. There's several different plots going on. Not all of them really connect or make sense, but still, it's a weird piece of Australian horror. It's really fun to watch. Uh, I like Body Melt. I like them both. I, I prefer The Incredible Melting Man, but I like Body Melt. Then Tomb of Terror. More full moon movies. This one isn't even really a movie. It's three full moon features from the 90s that have been cut down into an anthology film, which makes me wonder what the point of the original movies was at all, if they could just be 15 minutes. And successfully so. It, it actually works out as shorter versions than the original movies. And still with the full moon, this one's by Charlie Band himself, Corona Zombies 2020. Man, what a weird movie. It's mostly Hell of the Living Dead. It's mostly a redub of Hell of the Living Dead. You got a couple other movies added in here, and it's got some banana dialogue. My favorite quote from the entire movie is, you look like Barbara Bush on crack. Bless you, Charles Band. Never stop working. Then we've got 2021's There's Someone Inside Your House, Unfriended Dark Web, followed by Unfriended. I actually thought Unfriended Dark Web worked a lot better than Unfriended did. Unfriended was kind of boring and didn't go anywhere for me and was unnecessarily supernatural. God damn it, just make a movie about the internet being scary. It's scary fucking enough in real life. We didn't need ghosts. Unfriended Dark Web managed to do what the first movie couldn't do, and it's better for it. 
Then we've got 2023's Book of Creatures, followed by Freaks, the classic, 1932, 13 Women, 1932, also Dawn of the Mummy, 1981, which was a very, very lazy mummy movie. Amityville 2, The Possession. Burt Young died that day. Had to watch one for good old Burt, followed by one of my favorite films of, of all time, horror or not, 1973's The Last House on Dead End Street by Roger Watkins. I strongly recommend watching that movie. Alone and in the dark. Final Summer 2023, Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell, 1995, Japan's answer to the evil dead, 15 years after it was made. I love it, it's a great film, another one I strongly recommend seeing. It is a bloodbath and it is so fun. Then we've got some sweet, sweet shot on video, The Necrophiles from 1997, Hell High from 1987, a twist in the evil kid horror movie genre. It's not so much possessed evil kids, they're just spoiled, dirty, awful children. Well, they're not so much children, they're high schoolers, but still. I enjoy Hell High. It's it's a two and a half star movie for me because of meandering points and plots, but I still really enjoy it. Then we've got Ghost House, Umberto Lenzi. He overheard someone discussing the synopsis for Poltergeist, decided not to see the movie, but to rip it off nonetheless with just the small bit of knowledge he had overheard from somebody, and it's a pretty good movie. I think I might enjoy it more than Poltergeist. Then we've got Lombardo Bava's Demons 2. It's a classic. Not as good as Demons, and it always makes me wonder about Lombardo Bava. I think, personally, he's a really lazy filmmaker. His father was a an artistic genius, and he grew up with the hand of Dario Argento on his shoulder, but his movies are kind of lazy. Now, of course, you've got Demons, which is a, a beautiful, wonderful, balls-through-the-wall, high-octane horror film, but that was guided mostly by the hand of Dario Argento, and Demons 2 is where Lombardo shrugged and went, you know what, let's just make the fucking same thing over again, but I don't know, it's an apartment complex this time, and it's a lazy film. It's nowhere near as exciting. I don't hate it. I don't hate Lombardo Bava, so don't get that fucking crossed. But it is a lazy movie and nowhere near as fun as Demons. It's still a three-star film. If you entertain the idea of arbitrary, boring, and lazy star ratings to rank films with. Following that, a movie I have a great deal of disdain for and think was an incredible waste of time, All Hallows' Eve. I watched this for Joe Bob's Halloween special, which was pretty awful. I didn't enjoy it. And mostly because of uninspired shit movies like this. The thing that really bothered me is Darcy, the male girl, and Joe Bob Briggs pleading, this isn't a misogynistic movie, it's not misogynistic, and then they show a scene immediately following that where a woman has had her arms and legs removed, her vagina has been sewn shut, her breasts have been cut off, and the words cunt, slut, and horror are carved into her. And they're both arguing, it's not misogynistic. Yeah. All right. If that's the hill you want to die on or you're getting money shilled out to talk about this, that's fine. But All Hallows Eve is absolute garbage. Violence for the sake of violence and incoherent. It's a terrible movie. So is Terrifier and even more so Terrifier 2. And if you have a problem with that, just email us some hate letters. We'll start reading them out on the show. In a Stranger's House, 2018, Revolt of the Zombies, 1936... One of my favorite films coming up here, Dust Devil, 1992, and I watched the atrocious, the god-awful Weinstein cut of that movie, and fucking god, they butchered it. 
it, it's this uh, incoherent slasher. They just damaged the the beautiful great work of Richard Stanley. That film is 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 just amazing. Amazing doesn't cover how awesome the full real version of Dust Devil is. It's a great movie. I strongly recommend it. We've got The Children, 1980, following that. Kathy's Curse, Your Mother's a Bitch, 1977. I love Kathy's Curse. It's such a bad movie. It's it's not a good movie, but it's so enjoyable to watch. Then we've got a short film, I believe the only short film on this list, by Jim Van Beber, Roadkill, The Last Days of John Martin, The Boneyard, 1991, which is a problematic movie, and it runs all over the place, but I like it. I really, really like the characters, especially in that movie, and you've got a giant fucking Phyllis Diller monster, as well as a... What is that dog? Poodle! It's a poodle monster. Who doesn't want to see a Phyllis Diller and poodle monster duo? Seed People, 1992, another goddamn full moon movie. Gargoyles, 1971, which is super cheap, but I've always enjoyed it, and I especially love the end of the movie where the gargoyles pretty much are like, you guys are fucking assholes. Humans ruin everything, and it's true. And then Bert I. Gordon's The Food of the Gods, 1976. I fucking love this movie. Giant rat monsters, weird stuff's coming out of the ground. It's just a great throwback to something like Kingdom of the Spiders, a great giant monster movie, Bert I. Gordon I can't get enough of. Sometimes it's a hit, sometimes it's a miss, but regardless, you're going to enjoy what you're watching when you're watching a Bert I. Gordon movie. Following that, we've got VHS Bootlegged, which I gave half a star on Letterboxd, if that means anything, but didn't enjoy myself with that film. Following that, a movie that a lot of people have problems with and we'll probably come back ourselves and do an episode on, The Exorcist Believer, which I didn't have anywhere near as much hate for it as you fucking nerds seem to have the problem with. It wasn't that bad. Is it an uninspired, unnecessary, lackadaisical sequel to a movie that's 50 years old that never needed a sequel? Yes, but for what it is, it's fine. It's just another basic, boring possession movie, and for that... I don't hate it anywhere near. I was entertaining. I enjoyed myself. I went to the theater. I saw it completely alone. <laughs> Not one other person in the goddamn theater, which is saying something about the film, but I didn't hate it. Do I like it? No, but I didn't hate it. Following that, Talk to Me 2022, a movie I really, really, really liked and also would like to come back and do a little bit more discussion on here, but we're trying to cruise through this list. Great film. I strongly recommend it. Insidious, The Red Door, follows that, 2023. Did not care for this one as much. I don't hate the Insidious series. I've got nothing against it, in fact, at all. I've enjoyed following the characters and following the stories, but I guess this is the word of the night. This was uninspired. It was kind of boring. It's a bummer because it's Patrick Wilson's directorial debut, and I was hoping for a lot more. But as all the other films do, just like the Paranormal Activity movies, it raises more questions than anything else, and it's just a tease until we get to the next inevitable movie that will be in the series. I did like Patrick Wilson's performance. Uh, the brothers here and there, the his two children in the, the film series have grown up. Don't need to go into the plot, don't know why I'm doing that, but they were fine. Acting's fine, just a little uninspired for me. I thought it was a really lazy story, and it could have gone a lot uh, better, higher places. And also the movie says it has the original cast. Yeah, 
for like 2.6 seconds. You tease it as if the original cast is going to come back together and you watch the movie under the pretense that you're going to see everyone from the original movie. Barbara Hershey's like a fucking picture. She's not actually in the movie at all and then everyone else are brief glimpses aside from Patrick Wilson, his wife, and the kids. Whatever. It was fine. It was fucking fine. Let's move on. The Devil's Stomping Ground 2022, A Town Full of Ghosts. 2022, Island of the Living Dead. This one's by Bruno Matai, and it's a weird, bastardized, it's not really a remake, but it's kind of like a combination of Fulci Zombie, aka Zombie Flesh Eaters, and Ramiro's Night of the Living Dead. They're just straight-up scenes stolen from both of them. The plot mostly is similar to Zombie by Fulci, but it runs into Night of the Living Dead territory. One of the final films that Bruno Matai made, I think he did it in 2003 to 2004, and it was released posthumously. I think I said that word wrong. And it was released posthumously. Yeah. And it was released after his death in 2007. If you've seen Zombie and Night of the Living Dead, you've definitely seen this movie before. And even though it's unnecessary to put my own two cents in, eh, it wasn't that good, but it wasn't that bad either. Which is followed up by a movie I could say the exact same thing about, 2018's Killer Kate. Wasn't that good, but it wasn't that bad. Cannibals and Carpet Fitters follows that, 2017. Scream of the Wolf, 1974. Teenagers Battle the Thing, which is just capitalizing on the word The Thing because it's a 1958 movie and it's not actually teenagers battling The Thing. It's a prehistoric monster that was dug up. Eh, you see the similarities. Then we've got a fun one. I've always enjoyed this movie. I've seen it a handful of times before. It's a good mixture of giant monster exploitation and hicksploitation, Attack of the Giant Leeches, 1959. Then The Beach Girls and The Monster, which is pretty much a feature-length episode of Scooby-Doo, with ample beach babe boogieing, I enjoy it. It's a fun throwback movie. It's a great 60s piece, 1965 movie, poorly shot, just people dancing on the beach while a monster attacks them. Or is it really a monster? Find out. Watch it yourself. October 25th, we're up to October 25th, that is known as Rudy Ray Moore Day, and to celebrate the life and wonderful work of Rudy Ray Moore, I watched Petey Wheatstraw, which is also my favorite Rudy Ray Moore film. The Devil's Son-in-Law, Petey Wheatstraw. Monster from the Ocean Floor, 1954, follows. God Monster of Indian Flats, 1973, follows that. I got the new AGFA Blu-ray American Genre Film Archive. Amazing, it's such a great print. I've loved this movie since I was a teenager, and I'm so excited to have a wonderful Blu-ray copy of it. It's a great film. Uh, pure psychotronic madness. Giant fucking sheep monsters. You can't get better than that. <laughs> Following up God Monster, we've got Monster on Campus, which is cute. And it's it's the best thing to say about this. This is a cute late fifties, just average B movie monster affair. It's fun. Demonic Toys, Jack Attack follows that another full moon picture. The Werewolf Reborn, 1998, and Frankenstein Reborn, 1998. So much full moon this Halloween. This series is a little disappointing to me that the, the rest of them didn't get made. Charles Band and Company was going to, in the late 90s, take all the classic monsters 
and make their own twisted version of them. And in Frankenstein Reborn, at the beginning of the film, we have this awesome scene where the puppet master monsters are digging up the classic Universal monsters and bringing them back to life. And we get to see their tombstones and see that the mummy, the hunchback of Notre Dame, the creature from the Black Lagoon, the Invisible Man, all these things were slated to be made into films. And they ended up making roughly 45 to 50 minute apiece versions of Frankenstein Reborn and the Werewolf Reborn. And I liked them both. They're very bad. They're very, very bad. Let me say that first. Terrible acting, terrible production values. But there is a nostalgic sense of charm with these late 90s, super low budget, not quite shot on video, but near video-esque quality. I like it. I, I have no excuse. They're bad movies, but I enjoy it, so fuck you. The Beast from the Beginning of Time, 1965. Following that, one of the greatest films ever made and one of my favorite films, the Joe Fulci's The Beyond. No Halloween is complete without a viewing of The Beyond. Man Beast, 1956. Evil Bong, 888 Infinity High. Ah, uh, that's not even bother talking about that. Face of the Screaming Werewolf, 1964. The Flying Serpent, 1946. Dead Men Walk, 1943. The Corpse Vanishes, 1942, which happens to be one of the few films that managed to be a repeat from last year without intentionally. I actually think this is the only movie I unintentionally rewatched. There are a few that I intentionally rewatch. Following that, Bowery at Midnight, 1942. The Beast of Yucca Flats, 1961. You got Tor Johnson in this movie. Ed Wood's Tor Johnson. It's mostly incoherent, but I, I still enjoy the movie, and there are some really just gorgeous, lonely shots of the desert in this film. House, 1985, follows that. Richard Mull passed away, so I felt I really needed to watch a Richard Mull movie to celebrate his glory, and I picked House. William Kent, George Went. it's a great film, Kay Lenz. It's written by Fred Decker, directed by Steve Miner. That's all you should need to know. It Knows You're Alone, 2021. I began, I wanted to watch the entire Killjoy series from Full Moon, but I only made it through Killjoy and Killjoy 2 Deliverance from Hell before I decided I needed a break. Then I followed it with a film that I'd never seen before, but immediately has become a classic to me and something that I, I have to own a copy of. Look forward to seeing it again. Scary Movie from 1991. A real twisted piece of art cinema. I mean, this this is just a great prospect and idea for a movie. Super low budget, and as it progresses, it just causes an internal anxiety attack. I was so upset and tense watching this and couldn't wait for it to end, and then the second it ended, it was like, holy shit, I gotta see this again. Fantastic. Shadow Zone 1990 follows that. The Creeps 1997, another full moon movie, and I liked this one. It... <laughs> I don't, I, I don't need to get into the entire story, but this guy manages to bring all these classic monsters from literature, similar to the other films we just talked about, Frankenstein, Dracula. Well, he's bringing them to life through their novels, but it only creates half-sized versions of them. So we have an entire cast of little people playing Frankenstein, Dracula. Dracula is played by Phil Fondacaro, and, and honestly, legitimately, he does a great performance. It might be... One of my top favorite Dracula performances after seeing this film, and the movie's schlock. It's not really good. It's not even so much like it's so bad it's good, 
but Phil Fondacaro is amazing, and you definitely know who he is. You know who Phil Fondacaro is. You've seen him in thousands of movies before. Great, talented actor. One hell of a Dracula. The Manster, 1959. I really loved this movie. It's a half-Japanese horror movie, half-American horror movie, but what it is is all schlock. It's great. Then I saw Spirited Away, which is not a horror movie, and it did not make the list, but I did see it in October, and it was the first time I watched it. And I've, I've read, I've heard from critics and people for years and years and years, Spirited Away, it's one of the greatest movies of all time. Top ten greatest films of all time. Quintessential greatest films of all time. And I've always been a little hard-pressed on that. Eh, I doubt it. Spirited Away, one of the top ten greatest films of all time. It's true. Yep. Finally watched it, no argument, silly to even have an argument or any other opinion. It's fantastical, brilliant, beautiful, great, emotional, wonderful. Uh, all Studio Ghibli, I'm finding out. Late to the game is just fucking great. Dark Knight of the Scarecrow 2. Uh, 40 years after Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, a made-for-TV movie, nonetheless, we have a sequel, and it fucking baffles me. I do not understand the reasoning of making a movie 40 years after the original one and just completely disregarding the entire point and plot. Now, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow is a supernatural film, but this one, for some reason, is even more supernatural. It, it, there, there wasn't even any unanswered fucking questions from the first movie. Don't know why there was a sequel. Didn't care for it, but again, it's not that bad. Followed that up with a delightful film uh, by a director that I can't speak enough of. I, I love everything they've done. I love watching their films. Their films bring me such a great sense of happiness. Frank fucking Hennenlotter, baby. Basket case. The original. Ah, it's a classic. Doesn't matter if you've seen the other ones. They're great. Love Basket Case 2. Love Basket Case 3. But Basket Case as it is, the story of Belial and his brother, I love it. If you've not seen it, you gotta do something about that. Frank Henenlotter, he is a artiste. I love Frank's work. I love everything he's done. I think he's just an insatiable and incredible person and a beautiful artist. Reaching the final days of October. This is where I start some of my quintessential must-watch-every-October films. This isn't one of them, but we follow Basket Case with Hack-O-Lantern from 1988, a terrific heavy metal horror movie. Followed by Slaughterhouse Rock. This one is a little inconsistent for me. Now, I, I do remember fondly yearning after renting this for years and years and years. I loved the poster, I loved the, the cover art, rather, of the VHS. And I walked past it many times at video stores and never rented it. Watched it for the first time this Halloween, and it is a, a very misdirected film with lots of wandering plots. Don't know why Rock is in the title Slaughterhouse makes sense. It also takes place at Alcatraz, and it also has Tony Basil in the movie. And if you think you know who Tony Basil is, you definitely do. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine, you're so fine, you blah, mama. Hey, Mickey. Hey, Mickey. Tony Basil. Yeah, it's all over the place, undeserving of the title rock, but is a pseudo-heavy metal horror film. And we follow that with an actual heavy metal horror film by Dave Dakota, 
Again, maybe a little misdirected. It's definitely schlock, but it's fun schlock. I'm using that word a night, but a schlocky, stocky Halloween. That's something you want, right? Dream Maniac, 1986. And then we've got, this is a quintessential one. I, I love watching this every Halloween. Black Roses, 1988. Heavy metal horror movie. It is about the evils of heavy metal, but I've always felt the movie kind of makes you want to watch it more. You know, oh, heavy metal demons are going to sell your soul, and they're sweet monsters that play guitar with awesome hair. Yeah, it's just fucking making metal sound so much cooler than it already was. And then another quintessential film for me, one of my favorites. I watch, I've watched this every Halloween since I was 15, maybe 16 years old. We've got Rocktober Blood. You've got rainbow eyes. Rocktober Blood is a classic. I love that movie, no matter how good or bad it may be. Then I watched the premiere of the new Hell House LLC Origins, the Carmichael Manor. And I uh, maybe the, the, the less said about that movie is the better. I liked the first one. I liked the idea of, of the presentation and kind of rearranging what you show people with a found footage movie. And the, the second movie is, is just like the Paranormal Activity films. It's just digging and digging and digging, and then we never hit ground. We never do anything. It's just, oh, well, you'll find out in the next one. And it's just kind of uh, offensive at, at, to this point. You just keep dragging this awful, awful product out, and you're, you're just doing it for the sake of doing it because this movie which is origins it's supposed to allow us to understand everything that happens with the previous film it just raises more questions and then ends with the same dumb cliffhangers all the other ones do oh there's gonna be a new one guess what we set it up for a new one of course you fucking did of course another shitty shutter original movie that makes me question why i actually pay for shutter is going to come out that's little to no effort instead of something that has production values and actual story decent artists making the films there are so many indie directors that break their backs to get a really great product done and then Hell House LLC Origins, the Carmichael Manor, is what premieres for Halloween on Shudder. I was clearly disappointed, but what's new? What's new? Then we're at the end of the list, guys. I watched Trick or Treat 2007. It's a classic. I love it. I don't, there, there are problems, I guess, with the movie. I think most people's problems is the attempt at commercialization. They're just trying to make another horror person. But I like this one. I'll take Sam way over Art the Clown. At least Sam has a purpose and a point and is explained. Whoa, whoa, it's the spirit of Halloween. It's a little pumpkin monster. That makes sense. It's not an asinine misogynistic clown. Sam actually has some character. And it's an anthology movie. And unlike All Hallows' Eve, the films in the anthology movie are watchable. They're entertaining. Brian fucking Cox is in it. Following Trick or Treat, we've got Zombie, a.k.a. Zombie Flesh Eaters, Lucio Fulci, a quintessential movie. I watch it two or three times a year, but I watch Fulci movies all year because it's Fulci and I love him. Great film, though. Uh, I've recommended and strongly recommended a handful of movies here if you've managed to go all this time and not see Zombie Flesh Eaters or the work of Lucio Fulci, please do. Odd you're listening to this program, if you haven't. And then last, but not least, tends to be my final October film, no matter what. It was my final film in 2022. 
since I first saw this movie, maybe seven or eight years ago, I was late to the game with it, the film came out in 2007, I have made it a staple of my October viewings, but I also really regard this film strongly beyond horror, beyond genre films. I think it is a, a fantastic piece of filmmaking. Uh, the story really speaks to me. There's some parts of this movie that, that hurt me, that make me uh, just just want to go be quiet in the dark for a while and evaluate art and my choices in life. I think it's a, a beautifully made movie, a cheap, cheap movie too. I mean, this is an independent horror film and you can see it. You can see the imperfections. You can see flaws, but sometimes those things are, are very easy to overlook when it comes to the emotion behind what art you are seeing, the emotion that was committed to filmmaking. And so often you'll hear from independent filmmakers, well, we couldn't do this and we couldn't do that because we had a bad day. No one fucking cares about your bad day or how hard it was to make the movie because none of that is on screen. None of that shows up. What matters is what you managed to put on screen. And despite this movie having flaws, all the things that were perfected for a screen are pretty perfect. And this movie is called Murder Party, and it's by somebody named Jeremy Saulnier, an artist I have the utmost respect for. Uh, probably is, is, is top five, top ten favorite modern directors. He made Green Room. He made Blue Ruin. Uh, I think his vision and his camera work is, is just gorgeous. Jeremy Saulnier is a divine photographer, and this isn't up for debate. This isn't uh, a trivial piece of my opinion. If you can't take a good photograph, if you don't understand what it takes to take a good photograph and how to take a good photograph, you cannot be a good director. Your films will be listless and, uh, and uninspired and boring, and they will not ever look right. And that's because you don't know how to take a good photograph. If you cannot do that, then you can't be a director. And Jeremy Saulnier is a brilliant beautiful, devastating photographer. He captures pure emotion with no spoken dialogue, with no soundtrack, with nothing else happening, Simplistic, simply from his photography and the angles of his shots and his editing is uncompromised. Uh, he reminds me a bit of George Romero with his editing, especially something like Green Room that is just so tight and so precise, and there are so many cuts per minute. I mean, in Romero's Martin, there are scenes that there are like 60 cuts per 60 seconds. It's just phenomenal, and they're not sloppy. They're edged greatly, and everything intermingles with each other and fades into each other so so greatly that you have this uncompromised opera of 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 of, of a show. It's just a great show what Saulnier puts on every time. I think he is a very underlooked artist, and uh, unfortunately in the last few years, I think he kind of, I don't mean to say this offensively, but he sold out a little just trying to get that corporate job money, and everybody, you know, look at Robert Eggers. Everybody kind of does things like that, and you move forward, and Saulnier hasn't hit his niche yet with that studio system, and I'm really hoping that in the next few years he can get a little bit more fluency throughout a bigger studio system so he can make some beautiful work again because his first three films are just tremendous. I cannot talk about them enough. Blue Ruin is, is a gorgeous movie, but Murder Party is unpolished, and it is, is a little punk. It's a little rusted, 
and there is a, a tenacity to the movie. There is genre to the movie. This is very much inspired from slashers, cult classics, giallos, but it's also inspired by capitalism and the American system of capitalism and the monster that it makes and art itself. And the movie speaks volumes for the sake of art <laughs> and hating art. My God, I fucking hate art so much sometimes. And this movie uh, pinpoints so much of this angst and woe and, um, I don't know, degradation felt by artists that just take themselves so goddamn fucking seriously. And not, I mean, <laughs> I guess everybody tries to take themselves seriously, so it doesn't just have to speak on the volumes of art, but Murder Party, to me, is a flawless picture. It is a perfect picture. It is the greatest way to end Halloween, but I ask you deeply, if you've not seen this film, to let Murder Party into your life. Because besides all that, if you just want to enjoy yourself and watch a hip, fun, gory horror movie, you've got Murder Party, which it, it suits all of those flavors. It suits all of those purposes. But the movie speaks to me so much more than a genre film, so much more than just a horror film. I have um, just a, a, a passion for what I think the message of this movie is. And it was a great way to end October for me. And that's 116 movies, man. That's 116 films that all you fine folks in the graveyard have gotten to hear. And I watched every single one of them, uh, October 2023. And that's the episode. I read a list. Is it lazy, uninspired podcasting? Yeah, probably. But still better than someone just reciting the entire plot of a movie without even making their own original jokes, right? Who knows? I don't know. I don't know shit. I don't know shit about fuck. All I know is, currently, I have the power of watching 112 movies in a month. Well, a 31-day month. Next year, will I try for 200 movies? I don't know. I don't want to say that's not possible, but I also don't want to convince myself that I can do it because that's entirely how this started. It was a discussion with the great Linus Fitness Center and myself where he had told me a couple years ago he tried to watch 100 movies for Halloween, and he just couldn't do it. And I guess I took that as a threat. <laughs> what do you mean, you couldn't do it? I have no friends, I have nowhere to go, I think I can do it. And uh, two years in a row, I do, it's not like a bragging thing either. Like, I don't want to go around telling people, I watch 100 movies every Halloween, because what the fuck do you do? Do you not go outside? No, you can't. In fact, you gotta, like, streamline. You gotta do at least five movies a day for a certain amount of time. And as I told you all earlier, I didn't decide to do this until around the 15th or 16th and just went into overdrive, there were three or four days in a row where I was averaging nine movies. You know how you watch nine movies in a row in a day? You don't fucking do anything else. So if you try on your own to do this, for one, please send me the list. I want to see what you watched. But two, realize that there will probably be some negative impact in all of your relationships with your friends and family while you try to Watch 100 films and disregard absolutely all of reality. But for me, it was the joy of Halloween. And uh, a, a great amount of the films on this list and on last year's list are movies I would have never thought about watching. Movies I would have, because of streaming, read the description, seen the star rating, and gone, eh, I'm not going to watch it. But in this case, it was, hey, fuck it. 
Let's do it. So I end up discovering just a treasure chest of things that I, I otherwise would have completely and absolutely overlooked. And by doing so, I found movies that I, I just have become favorites for me. I had never seen The Manster before, and that is, I will watch that countless times. I have to see it again. Bloody muscle bodybuilder in hell. Oh, God, it's decadent. Such a great movie. I have to own this one. I have to watch it again. Would have never bothered with it beforehand. But it's all a journey. It's all an adventure. And it has been an episode of Death by DVD. So now that we have reached the end of this episode, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with Death by DVD. We've got a whole new series coming up that I do believe is going to run consecutively. We're having some second thoughts about that, but we are going to unveil, talked about this a little bit on the Halloween episode, Masters of Horror Season 1. All 13 episodes, except a couple of them are going to go to Patreon, let's be real. One movie per episode, each of them are going to be about an hour long, so that makes for 13 episodes consecutively. We did Star Trek and Phantasm, as I said, and those all ran week to week to week. And I do feel, personally, that it might get a little bit boring, so we'll see. We might change some things up a little bit. And we're aiming to premiere that series the third week of November. Maybe even next week. We'll have to see. Because I clearly do not know. But I am very excited for the series because we're going to have some special guests. And the guest that I know I can talk about because we've got the episode recorded is Kevin Matthews from Raiders of the Podcast. And I love Raiders of the Podcast. I love Kevin Matthews. He is... Uh, just a gorgeous critic. He he works nonstop. He has a, a review a day that comes out on his blog, which is called Fortis Man Number. I'll spell that for you so you can find it. F O R I T I S M A N S N U M B R dot blogspot dot com. An article a day, a video a week, and releases a podcast. Raiders of the podcast every week with a beautiful cast of people. I'm itching to get this episode out because it was so exciting having Kevin on the show. He's just a, a courageous, wonderful critic. He puts out so much. He watches so much. His love of cinema is infectious, and it's wonderful talking to him. It's wonderful reading his work, just fully loaded with everything that you would want. He was even recently quoted in a book about Stuart Gordon. He's interviewed and met Stuart Gordon, and we talk about it on the episode, and I'm just so excited to have Kevin join the show. We have a couple other guests lined up, and it may or may not be why we're postponing the Masters of Horror to come out, because we're trying to get those last few guests, but it's going to be fun. Something new. I, Alexander Nash, will be returning for several of these episodes, so you don't just have to hear me ramble. And on top of that, we have a couple other tricks up our sleeves and a few more movie series that we want to discuss. But I'm sure you heard on the fall break episode, toward the ending, I said something around the effects of this is the final season of Death by DVD, and there is some truth for that. We don't have a number of episodes ready yet, but this will be 
the final run for now. And I don't know if it's indefinite. We'll see. But it's been 14 years. We've had a lot of fun. We are focusing very heavily on our Patreon community and forming a greater, larger community where Death by DVD will exist in the future. And that's my segue to tell you about Death by DVD's Patreon, www.patreon.com slash deathbydvd. You can join us in the graveyard for as low as $4 a month to unlock exclusive audio and video episodes, plus much, much more. But your support is what makes the future of Death by DVD. And I'm sure sometime soon we'll talk more about the final season. But for now, the ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. Thank you for choosing death. Thank you for listening to this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. And if anything, hey, tell me about these movies. Are you going to watch the list yourself? You have been listening to The Halloween Hangover 2023. And if you're like me, still clinging to the joy that October brought us, it's all right. October lives forever here on Death by DVD, always in the graveyard. Until next time, be pleasant. Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. from on top of the Blue Crystal Sunshine Mountain in any town USA with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building. And I like Death by DVD. It's a statement.
Jack. 